It makes more sense when you say it in an Australian accent. Myelin. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sounds like you just said melon. Melon. <laughs> Myelin. <laughs> His first name's Water. Water Melon. <laughs> <laughs> the cinema man podcast i'm your host john murphy and i'm joined by my co-host matt hurdle good day <laughs> hey matt how are you doing today i'm doing good happy to be here as always john excellent so today we are going to be taking a look at the 1986 action adventure movie crocodile dundee directed by peter feynman and starring paul hogan Linda Kozlowski and John Malin. I tried to use a bit of an Australian accent there to to pronounce those uh, names. Yeah, let's uh, let's not do that anymore. <laughs> uh, so this is our second episode. Um, oh, the deuce! Yeah, pretty crazy. So what we decided to do. <laughs> Was uh, yeah, yeah, two episodes. That's woo, that's crazy. Let's not overdo it. We should probably quit right now. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, we're doing Crocodile Dundee tonight, and the next episode, we've decided to keep the Australian train going and watch Crocodile Dundee 2. Um, I think it's going to be a fun back to back couple of episodes. Um, yeah, I agree, you know. Uh, growing up, Crocodile Dundee 1 and 2 were always kind of an interesting pair because as a kid, I remembered liking 2 way more than I liked 1. Uh, however, if you go and you look at the the reviews online for the two movies, uh, the first movie is a clear winner. So I'm really interested to kind of do this two-part series and see how it turns out. For sure. And I'm kind of the same way. <clears throat> I grew up watching part two the most because it came out in 88 i think and i was probably i was six years old then so around that time was when i kind of started watching movies and it would come on tv regularly and we had a vhs copy of it and so that was the movie i i really enjoyed watching but i really like one as well so uh so for those that don't know anything about the movie the famous IMD plot synopsis of this movie is an American reporter goes to the Australian outback to meet an eccentric crocodile poacher and invites him to New York City. I can already tell I'm I'm just not a fan of the IMDb uh, synopsis. These are the most oversimplified things. I man, they're they're something else. I think they're hilarious. It's like some of them don't even make sense, and then some of them are so vague that you can't, it's not even a synopsis. 
<laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna give a quick one if that's all right. Go ahead. So the way that this works out is you've got a New York City reporter. She hears the story of this legendary crocodile hunter named Crocodile Dundee, who lives in Australia, who was out in the outback and who got attacked by a crocodile. Uh, according to the stories, it took his leg clean off and he had no water and food. And he lived out in the wilderness by himself, dragging himself into town and, you know, surviving. She hears this and she's like, we've got to talk to this guy. We've got to run this story. And so she leaves New York. She goes to Australia and she meets the guy. Uh, time to find out. The story was uh, exaggerated a little bit. He's uh, still got his leg, although it's a little scarred up. Uh, and he's just kind of this smarmy crocodile poacher, essentially, who lives down in Australia. Um, she follows him around in the outback, um, kind of getting a lay of the land, so to speak. It's it's you know she's a New York City girl, and going out to the Australian countryside is, is a uh, a pretty big culture shock for him. Uh, sec that's the first half of the movie. After that, she's like, you know what? You need to come to New York. You need to meet my friends, and I want to continue the story on you a little bit. And so then he goes to New York, and at that point, you know, we get the reverse side of things. Instead of the girl from the city and the country, we get the boy from the country and the city. Well, it was much better than the IMD one. I'll give you that. So, what did you think? I mean, I know you. We both. Already said we have a long history with this movie. We both watched it a lot as as children. Does it hold up to your nostalgic memories, or was it just the worst movie ever? <laughs> I'm gonna have and to go with somewhere in the middle of, of that. <laughs> no, it has to be one or the other. <laughs> um. So yeah, this is the first time I'd seen this movie in a very long time. Last time I saw it, you know. I was I was a child and um it was honestly my first real taste of what Australia was about, you know. And I realized it's kind of parodied because this is a movie and that's what they do, but um when I was a kid, you know, this movie was almost magical, you know, this this guy Crocodile Dundee from the Outback, he could, you know, do whatever he wanted to. He wrestles alligators and carries giant knives around, you know. Mm -hmm. Watching it now, coming back and seeing it um, it, it didn't hold up, I guess, like it did when I was a kid. It was entertaining. I laughed. Um, I felt good during the movie. It's definitely a feel good movie. Uh, but it, it wasn't this kind of just amazing, awe inspiring experience that I remember it being as a kid, you know, mm -hmm. it was a, uh, just kind of a, a feel good kind of happy movie with the, uh, I'm going to use the cliche fish out of water setup, you know. Um, there were a lot of things that I didn't catch as a kid. A lot of sexual innuendos. Um, <laughs> a lot of adult themes. Drug references. Stuff that just completely flew over my head as a young one. Uh, that did not this time around. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was really interesting coming back to this. Having been so long since I've seen it as an adult. Watching it with kind of a critical mindset. Um, yeah, it was an interesting experience for sure. Okay, okay. Well, I think, you know, I I probably liked it more than you did uh, after the adult watching. Um, that's a weird statement.
statement. Um, I, but as I said, I, I watched it <clears throat> when I was a kid many, 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 many times. We wore out our VHS tape uh, copy, and we didn't have uh, we didn't have uh, HBO or any of the movie channels. We just had the main NBC, CBS, ABC, and so my aunt and uncle would uh, give us VHS tapes that they recorded off of television because they had all the movie channels, and so they gave us a copy of Crocodile Dundee one, Crocodile Dundee two, a bunch of other movies that I've seen a whole bunch of times that and I would just watch those over and over and over again. And anytime it came on TV, I would watch it on TV. So I think this movie is extremely funny. Uh Paul Hogan as Crocodile Indy is very charismatic. He's one of the most charismatic people or actors in any movie ever. And he does it so effortlessly because I think he is just normally that way. Um, the chemistry between him and Linda Kozlowski, who plays Sue, is perfect. Uh, his uh, business partner, Walt, is hilarious. I love watching him, even though he's barely in the movie. Um, the scenery is awesome. And like you, like when I was a kid... That was Australia. Like, that was my first exposure to the country. And I just, I wanted to go there. I wanted to be Crocodile Dundee. I would go around and play, like, I would have a toy plastic machete and I would pretend that I was Crocodile <laughs> Dundee and stuff. So it, it holds a special place in my heart. And after watching it the other day, I I didn't hate it. And I probably loved it even more because it, took me back to my younger days when I was uh, a wee little child and it, it was awesome. So, yeah, I guess all in all, um, it's a good film, right? I, I, it's not a film that I would look at uh, in any kind of a reward or a, an award setup. Um, I know it was nominated, I think for screenplay for a movie mm -hmm. um, Oscar, but um, nothing else, which doesn't really surprise me. Um, it was, uh, I, I guess what I would consider a summer movie. You know, it, it was, sure. I think, the number two movie the year it came out. Mm -hmm. uh, Top Gun beat it, but not by much, honestly. And, and no, you know, no Oscar nods except for the screenplay, which was basically saying, hey, congratulations, your movie made a whole lot of money. Um, but, you know, it was good. It, it's definitely, I think, dated now um, in, in a lot of different ways. The comedy is still funny, although it is uh, definitely 80s comedy. You know, oh, you're yeah. going to get some jokes in there that are a little bit sexist, some jokes that are a little bit racist, um, stuff that was a lot more acceptable then and is not so much now. So mm -hmm. uh, if you're the kind of person that that bothers, know going into this movie that you're going to see some of that. Um, actually, you might see quite a bit of that. Uh, but if you can get through that, it's not too bad. And uh, it, it's actually funny, and it's got a good heart. Uh, the movie definitely means well, and it, it's worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I uh, I did see an article, and I didn't read it, but it was about um, it was a, basically a take on how how chauvinistic the movie was, um, male chauvinist. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, there's no there's no denying that it was 
a movie of its time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I mean, you can come at it kind of like you watch um, old Looney Tunes or something like that, you know. Um, you know, it was a different time. Stuff like that was more acceptable than it is now. The movie's made, it's out there, that's not going away. So, you know, hopefully you can watch it and enjoy it with some humor. And if not, I mean, that's why we're warning you about it now, right? Stay away from it if that kind of thing bothers you. Let's talk about uh, an interesting thing that I found out about the movie, and that's one of the reasons we do this podcast is um, to research and find out things that we may not have known about a movie. And one of the things about this movie is Paul Hogan, uh, who plays Crocodile Dundee, he created the uh, movie with... <clears throat> John Connolly, who was his partner. And he has always gone on record saying that Crocodile Dundee is not a real person. He wasn't inspired inspired by anybody. Um, and, you know, that's just his stance on it. But there was a guy named Rod Ansel who got stuck out in the Northern Territory of Australia, survived for 56 days with limited food and water. Uh, I believe he did have an encounter with a crocodile. And so he swears up and down, or he swore up and down that the movie was based on his uh, experience in 1977. So that happened. He sued Paul Hogan for a cut of the film's profits. And ultimately failed. He was denied any monetary uh, reward. And because of this, or supposedly because of this, he fell into a deep depression. He started using drugs. And in 1999, he got in a firefight with police officers and shot one of the police officers and killed him. And then he was killed by a police officer. So he died in 1999. What do you think of this, Matt? What is this? this is crazy. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, when I think of this movie and I watch this movie, this is not the kind of material that comes to my mind, right? right. Like, I hate this. It's a tragic story. You know, I, I hate this for the guy, but at the same time, you know, this movie did a lot of good for the country. It did a lot of good for Australia, you know, and I, I can't help but wonder if maybe the, him suing had and losing the case had something to do with that, you know? Yeah. Uh, cause I imagine Australia was really big on this film. It was probably going to bring in tourist dollars. It was raising awareness of who they were. Um, I mean, Australia, a, a country that at that point really hadn't had a lot in terms of, you know, cinema in the United States yeah. has the number two movie of the entire year. Um, yeah, I can see why he might've lost that, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and as as similar as his experiences are, <clears throat> I mean, it could all be co a coincidence. Um, I did do some reading, and he, there were, apparently he did go, he was interviewed, he went to a hotel, and he didn't sleep in the bed, he slept in his uh, sleeping bag or whatever he brought with him, which was a scene direct in the movie, um, there was, I think there was something about a bidet. So I don't know. I don't know who to believe. 
Paul Hogan is still saying that you know there was no there was no uh, direct inspiration for the character or the movie. So we probably won't ever know. But. Yeah, I don't think we will. It's it's going to be tricky because you know Hogan has said that he kind of modeled the character off of just kind of the everyman. You know, like right. like there's there's uh, Mick Dundee's in every bar in Australia kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it would be really hard to say, Hey, that's, that's me. He did that off of me because there's probably a hundred people out there who could say the same thing. Yeah, that's, that's true. I just thought that was so, <clears throat> so interesting. Um, one of the other, uh, so we've talked about, you know, we're not sure what kind of movie this is. Uh, we've talked before about how there's, there's not really a antagonist. There's not really a bad guy. And mm-hmm. to me, that brings to mind just automatically, it brings to mind Tarzan. Like the story of Jane going out into the jungle, meeting Tarzan. He he doesn't know anything about the modern world. And uh, they, they develop a relationship. And then she brings him back to her, to the city or whatever. And, and things get crazy to me that this is exactly that just uh, kind of with a modern twist and with a Tarzan that's a little more charismatic and likable. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I hate to admit this, but I'm not super familiar with the story of Tarzan. Um, that said, if it goes like how you're saying, then yeah, that's, that seems pretty similar. You know, it's, um, you know, Jane, winds up in the jungle with Tarzan. Tarzan winds up in the city with Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know in one point, in one scene, they actually reference um, Linda. Basically, just straight says, you know, you always make me feel like Jane in a Tarzan movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, I think there's definitely something to that. I don't know that the story is directly inspired by Tarzan, but um, maybe it is. It might definitely be. <laughs> At the very least, it's, somewhat inspired because there's no way that you know you can take this story and then not think of of Jane and Tarzan but or at least that's what I think right yeah I mean I didn't right but like I said I'm not super familiar with that story so uh, if I was then perhaps I would have made that conclusion but not being that familiar with it I, I did not personally Paul Hogan is, like we said, is the creator of this whole thing. Um, But he also plays Michael J. Crocodile Dundee, who is, Mm -hmm. as I already said, this charismatic lead character that just every scene he's in, you want to just keep your eyes on him. Or at least this is all opinion, of course, but I I just love him. Um, It's interesting that he... He just fit that role so easily from the moment he comes on the screen. He's, you know, he's you're just sucked into to what he's doing. And, you know, that first scene, he's he's uh, they're They're talking about him like he's a legend. Walt's telling uh, Sue that he's he's had his leg cut a bit off and he crawled all the way from the from the middle of nowhere, uh, supposedly to the hotel hospital but maybe to the pub <laughs> um and you know all of a sudden this 
knife comes out from the the entrance of the the bar that they're at and then a, a crocodile which kind of stuffed but what an entrance i mean that's that's just a, a great way to introduce that character oh yeah definitely he uh he definitely embodies that character you know i guess that makes sense having created him and uh you know just being the face of it I would almost argue that I think he was a little bit too good at it. Um, <laughs> because if you look, like, he wasn't in much after Crocodile Dundee. Oh, he, yeah. Uh, he... Go ahead. No, I was agreeing with you. Yeah, I mean, he did a few films, right? Um, but for the most part, he did Crocodile Dundee, like, two or three more, and then he was gone. And I think that's why. I think people couldn't get over seeing him as Crocodile Dundee. He uh, he got typecast, right? He got stuck in that role. Um, yeah, he was sure. amazing at it, and uh, that, that's something that I think is interesting because, like you said, he he really does do great in this movie. He's he's charismatic. He's fun to watch. But um, you know, two movies really. There's three, but we're not talking about the third one at the moment. <laughs> um, and that's it. You know, it, it makes me wonder you know what happened right and uh you know he he had his own uh kind of skit show in australia um before the first crocodile dundee so he he kind of had it had a thing going um but he he wasn't really discovered any any earlier than that um and i think what i mentioned earlier see he uh he is just that guy. Like he's he's very charismatic, uh, gets along with everybody, cracks wise all the time. Um, and I I do agree. I think he got typecast. You know, people wanted to see him uh, be that character more than he did, and uh, it just kind of it didn't work out because he he considered himself retired after the first movie. He made so much money off of the first movie that he was like, anything else I do is just gravy, you know? Mm-hmm. So he just he just decided to have fun. He would take on projects that he thought was interesting. Uh I've heard that he was he was for he was talked into doing the third Crocodile Dundee movie. Uh and he said, you know, he he thought against it at first and he went ahead and did it, uh, but after it came out and it didn't do so well, he was like, Yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. You know, that makes me respect him a little bit more. It's not often that you see, you know, big list actors, which he, make no mistake, he was for his little flash in the pan of fame. Um, You know, do their movie and then just be like, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to go home now and just enjoy what I've got, what I've done. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, respect for that. You don't see that very often. No. And, uh, you know, he's, it seems like he's he's content with what he's he's done in life, and definitely have to respect that. One one thing I wanted to talk about, and, and this is a step back from Paul Hogan and, and more into Mick Dundee, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the fact that, and this is something I definitely didn't catch as a, as a child watching this film. He is borderline a bad guy, right? <laughs> like 
He he drinks, he fights, he's sexist. Um, the movie never comes out and says it, but it very strongly implies that he just straight poaches crocodiles for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in one of the first scenes in the movie, right after actually that knife scene that you were just talking about, um, there's a guy who basically calls him a crocodile poacher, and uh, it starts a little fist fight. And um, you know later on when he's taking Linda through the outback. Um, they come across the boat and she kind of starts getting wise. Like, you know, she finds some, uh, chills, I think in the boat. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you basically find out, Hey, this guy, I mean, he's just straight up illegally poaching crocodiles for a living, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, later on when they're in New York, he's at a, uh, kind of a fancy dinner. He's with, uh, the, the lady Linda and her boyfriend who we haven't mentioned yet, but, uh, he is Richard. Yeah, Richard is kind of um, kind of giving uh, Crocodile Dundee the business, so to speak, because he doesn't <laughs> know uh, he doesn't know his way around the city. Right? They're at this fancy dinner. Um, he's mocking him by asking him to order off of a was it an Italian menu? I think, right. um, knowing that he couldn't you know speak Italian, and uh, you know in, instead of cracking wise back at him, he just punches him right in the face. Uh, which granted it's established that that's kind of his style, but at the same time, like, um, he's not really the, the, the best guy out there, you know? Yeah. I think that goes back to, once again, this is, this is an eighties movie, macho dude. Um, he, yes, he, he drinks. Yes. He, he may poach some stuff. Some crocodiles. We're not so sure. I, I don't know. I could. I couldn't get a good reading off that. Whether he was truly not a poacher or if he uh, was just kind of well, trying to mess. Uh, I'll put it this way, right? The the IMDb plot synopsis calls him a crocodile poacher. Yeah, but we know how those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. We know how those synopsis go. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, I just, I guess it doesn't bother me because I really like his, I don't know, he just won me over. If yeah. he asked me to pay him $100, I would, you know. Kinda, oh my goodness, really? Kinda, Can I have $100, John? You're not that charismatic, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to work on that, definitely, because I'm trying to do a podcast. <laughs> um, One thing I did want to bring up about him as a character, though, is I feel like they kind of pseudo-explained the poaching thing. All right. Um, there, there is a scene where he is talking about how he was raised by the Aboriginal peoples of Australia. And he talks about how, um, he, he's basically asked by, uh, Linda and what, what is her character's name? Sue. Sue Charlton. Okay. He, he's asked by Sue what he thought about the land disputes between the Australian people and the, uh, the native Aboriginal people. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he explains that the, uh, the tribes that live there don't really see it as owning land. Right. He, he talks about how uh, he points at two rocks and he's like, those rocks were there years before us and they'll be here years after, you know, they don't care who says owns them. They're still there. And um, he was basically arguing, you know, that you can't own land. That's a silly concept. Um, in that regards, uh, in, you know, in that 
context, I guess. Um, you poaching wouldn't really be a thing, right? Because mm-hmm. everything would be sh- shared between the, the people who were on the land and it wouldn't really, regulations wouldn't be a thing. So in my opinion, I think that's how they tried to justify him as being kind of the protagonist of the film, but also being kind of a poacher, you know? Well, Matt, I I never thought of it that way, but I think I, I, think I agree. Like, I, I remember that scene, and, you know, he's like, well, Aborigines don't really own the land. They're, it's more like it's their mother. Um, and he was raised by a tribe, and so it does make sense that he wouldn't, he wouldn't necessarily follow all or any of the uh, laws that Australia has has set down in stone. So that's a that's a pretty good look at it. Um, that's that's the best I can come up with. Otherwise, he's just a well dirty old crocodile poacher. A likable dirty old crocodile poacher. Before we get to New York, we uh, there's a few more things I want to talk about, which is, one of which is just the cinematography and the scenery in Australia. And it's probably one of the reasons both of us like the movies uh, and the reason we wanted to go to Australia or had more interest in, in the country. Just the wide shots of, like, the landscape of, you know, the birds flying over the over the swamp area and the all the animals and the aborigines it was all just really well done really well shot i thought yeah you know kind of going back to what we were saying earlier it that that movie was the first look we really got at australia um and you know back then it didn't make too much of an impression on me honestly but Today, looking at it, you're right, man. It, it is beautiful. It's, um, you know, it, it's just kind of like sparse looking in some places, lush and green in other places. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it was really pretty. And I was surprised at some of the shots they got, you know, not just like the countryside itself, but um, overlooking some water. Um, some of the scenes when the helicopter is flying in and in the beginning of the film, uh, it's just, yeah, really pretty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's one scene, uh, in particular where he's, uh, direct, he's, uh, showing suit where he, you know, got attacked and he mentions, you know, the water back then was, was up, you know, this much more. And it, Mm -hmm. it was probably eight feet like yeah the water level had had gone down significantly to the point where his his capsized boat was stuck in a tree uh with with the crocodile marks but it was all out of water and there wasn't much water around so we see that a little bit here where we live but not near that much um yeah i thought that was very very cool yeah, yeah, I'm not super familiar with the uh, weather patterns of Australia, but I, I do believe that there is a rainy season down there where you'll see flooding and uh, water levels rising like that. I could be wrong, but I th- I think that's right. And that, uh, I'll put a, a little snippet of the scene in here, but whenever he's talking about what the crocodile does to him, that just gets me every time. Like I said, crocs don't like fresh meat. He wasn't trying to eat me on the spot. 
He just wanted to grab a hold of me and take me down for a death roll. A death roll? Yeah. Yeah, see, a croc will grab you, take you down to the bottom of the water, and roll you over and over and over until you stop kicking. And he'll take you away to his meat safe somewhere. Rock ledge, bob, down under the water, jam you under it, tenderise you a bit, good eating. Yeah, anyway, he wasn't happy with the grip he had on me, so he let go to get a better one, and I talked him out of it. The, the death roll stuff. Yeah. I can't yeah. do it justice. So I'm not, and I'm not going to butcher the Australian accent, but <laughs> he was talking about how the crocodile took him down for a death roll and, uh, basically was going to stick him underneath a rock and kind of tenderize him and get, come back later for a, a nice tasty treat. And, you know, the, the music starts playing subtly in the background and he's kind of talking and she's just like, awestruck by what he's talking about and i just love that whole scene so talking about that um man the music in this is something isn't it yes that grungy guitar riff that plays just With the I, didgeridoo in the background uh-huh <clears throat> um you know i i was uh i was reading about this film and somebody suggested that you go and you find that entire song and listen to it, just the theme song from that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a great idea. So I, any of you guys, if you're listening to this and you like that song, you just get snippets of it in the movie. You should go listen to the whole thing. It's it's interesting. Yeah, it's. I got to say, it's probably one of the better scores in any movie. Like it just gets you going, and it fits perfectly with what they're trying to do in the movie. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know not- if I'd call it one of the best ever, but it, it does. It fits. Um, it's iconic. I hear that music, and I'm thinking about Crocodile Dundee, right? Exactly. Which is a good sign. And it's not it's not complicated, like a lot of scores that are considered great, but it just gets you. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can't explain. If you listen to it... It's unique. <clears throat> I can't think of any, any uh, film soundtracks that sound similar to it. This is embarrassing, but I have another kid's story. <clears throat> um, so you know how the the music kind of goes like that. How how does that go? <laughs> I'm not going to do it again. So you'll have to rewind <laughs> if you want. But I would take a rubber band and I would kind of stretch it out and then roll it under my chin to the rhythm of that song when I was a kid. <laughs> I can kind of see that. Yeah, you get like the the bouncy sound kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my little embarrassing story. But there you go. You're a musician. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were innovating as a child. New musical techniques. Innovator. That's what they call me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay. Another another scene that I love, and. Probably no one else would love it or think it's great, but early on, and it's in the bar when they when they first introduced Crocodile Dundee, there's a character named Dunk, and he is this lumbering Aussie, like huge guy. He's probably six foot five, weighs I don't know three hundred plus pounds. Yeah, the uh, the actor that plays him actually was a famous professional wrestler. If that helps give you an idea of how large this man is, right? What was his name? 
I'm not sure. I'll have to look it up. But anyway, he he has this game that he plays with the other uh, barmates where he puts a, a mug of beer on top of his head. And they had tried to punch him in the stomach to try to spill any kind of drop from the from the uh, uh, mug of beer. And no one can do it. You know, it's impossible because he's just so tough. And Crocodile Dundee comes in. He says, uh, you know, it's <laughs> Dunk, it's my lucky day. And so he puts down some money and he's about to punch him in the stomach and he ends up giving him a kiss instead. And that just throws Dunk off and he spills the beer everywhere. He starts trying to swing and hit uh, Crocodile Dundee in the face. <laughs> And Crocodile then he goes behind the bar and serves Dunk uh, a drink, and he's just so confused. And he gets up and he <laughs> has wide eyes and he's looking around. I think someone in the background says, uh, "You're the, you're a great kisser, Donk, or something." And uh, I just that is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. And it's yeah, just so it's a good scene. It's so in- insignificant, but it just it's very funny. There's lots of uh, there's lots of physical comedy, right? Which is great. I, I love physical comedy. And then you add to that, like the scene gives you a, a pretty good picture of who Crocodile Dundee is. You know, um, he's this guy who hangs out at bars. He's arrogant. He's kind of a just kind of a smarmy dude that you know. He's not afraid of this big guy. Uh, either that, or he's good enough friends with him that he he doesn't mind messing with him. You know, right. Uh, he's confident because you would have to be confident to do something like that. Like it, it paints a good picture of who he is and his relation to the the people of the the town that he's in. And by the way, the the man's name is Steve Rackman, right? And he was a professional Australian wrestler. Is that correct? Um, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. He was a uh, wrestler in the Australian scene. Uh, I think he went by Crusher. Um, wow. But this movie is the, really the first and uh, main exposure to him that I've had. I think he's in the second movie as well, and the third one. But right. um, this is those are the, I guess, where I know him from mainly. Yeah, and, you know, you look at the cast, <clears throat> and we talked about how uh, Paul Hogan was typecast. He didn't do a whole lot after, uh, mm-hmm. after Crocodile 93, but no one really did. I mean... Uh, Linda Kozlowski, who he ended up marrying and spending 23 years of marriage together. Her last mm-hmm. movie was Crocodile Dundee 3. Um, none of the supporting characters really went on to do anything except for uh, uh, John Val Johnson or whatever his name is. Uh, the guy, uh, Carl Winslow from Family mm-hmm. Matters. He, he did a bunch yeah. of stuff. He um, definitely seems to have gone on to the biggest career following this. Yeah. Uh, and uh, John Malin, who is Walt, plays Wally. He was a veteran actor, but he actually ended up he died in 1989, and so this was one of his last movies. Um, so I thought it was interesting that for a movie that did so well, and to this day is still like one of the best critically, or sorry, commercially successful Australian movies. That no one really came out of it as like a, a top build actor, right? It's, it's yeah, really we great. we got uh, Reginald Bell Johnson. That's uh, 
Carl Winslow. Right. He he came from that, but um, yeah. Aside from that, that's about it. Really crazy. And I, um, who was it? Who was the director? John uh, Feynman. Mm-hmm. Peter Feynman. Uh, he did Fern Gully. <laughs> I don't know if you consider that. Um... Well, you know that doesn't surprise me. Uh, if you if you take a step back and you look at Crocodile Dundee uh, and just kind of think about some of the themes, there definitely seems to be a you know living out in nature good, living in the city bad mentality to that yeah. movie. Um, you know they they don't make New York City um, as a uh, as a bad place. You know the people who live there aren't villains, but they definitely seem to be favoring the country lifestyle over the city lifestyle. I did want to talk about the famous crocodile scene. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the point. So this is one of the, the moments where uh, Crocodile Dundee's kind of poking fun at uh, at Sue for being a woman, basically saying that she, would, she wouldn't last five minutes out in the outback by herself, and she gets understandably upset, and uh, she takes off on her own with a gun. And, you know, after an undetermined amount of time, she <clears throat> stops to rest in what would be considered a bad idea, where she <laughs> basically and, strips uh, down. Just, just to add in there, the entire time she's on her own, walking through the outback, uh, Dundee is essentially creepy-stalking her, uh, barefooted, through the bush. Yes. But one could argue that he's just looking out for her. No, I'm I'm sure that's the case, but it was still kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she she strips down in her into her bathing suit, and was getting some water, and this huge crocodile jumps up out of the the water, and grabs her canteen from her uh, neck, and is about to just take a bite out of her, and uh, crocodile Dundee swoops in and uses his knife and just punctures the uh, head of the uh, crocodile and kills him. Um, I, I still jumped at this scene. And I knew it was coming. So, I don't Yeah, know did, that, but... that scene gave poor young Matt nightmares. <laughs> and the um, same for me, right? Even knowing it was coming, when that thing pops out of the water, you just can't help it. It's, it's just like this visceral reaction where you're just like oh you know yeah um the water's still there's no you would expect to see like a you know like the whole floating log kind of thing coming up you don't see anything it's just murky water she's everything's calm she's filling up her uh canteen and then just boom it hits and it's uh i mean the the crocodile is obviously not real yeah but it doesn't matter because the the whole point of the scene is, you know, it can go from peaceful to you're attacked just in a flash, you know. And so it's there for the surprise more than it is to be like, oh, you know. Yeah. And it really does a great job achieving that. For sure. And that that was a fake crocodile. It cost <clears throat> somewhere around $45,000 to make that thing. But thankfully, they did that because... Paul Hogan wanted an actual crocodile in that scene, and that would have turned bad. <laughs> I just feel like yeah. that would have ended up really bad. 
I don't know how they could have provoked a real crocodile to actually attack. Yeah. Um, it probably would have been more of a her next to a crocodile as it emerges from the water kind of thing mm-hmm. if they did a real one. Uh, but I, I think I'm glad they used the uh, mechanical crocodile. Having it jump out and grab her canteen like it does is uh, it's just scary. Yeah. And it, that was a, of course, that was a practical effect. And practical effects, in my opinion, are way better than any kind of computer generated thing you can do. So it would, they it can would, be. Yeah. They definitely can be if they're done well. So I, and in, in the opening, I said this was an action adventure movie. But Matt may have a different idea on that. So, yeah, I had to stop and think about this one. You know, what what is the genre of this movie, actually? There's there's action and adventure, like you're saying, you know. Um, there's crocodile attacks. There's danger. But at the heart of it, you know, there's a lot of comedy. There's lots of jokes and silliness and laughs. And then there's a, the, I mean, I guess you could say the main plot of the movie is this romance that develops between Sue and, and Mick. And it's really, it's interesting, right? Because you don't have a main bad guy. The plot is, you know, a journalist goes to Australia, sees and meets this guy, kind of half falls for him, brings him back to New York as a novelty, and then really falls for him. I mean, that's it. That's the plot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if I have to classify this, I'm going to call it a romantic comedy. Oh, snap. I mean, I can get get behind that. Um, I guess what keeps it from being that in my mind is all of the action, all of the um, machismo. I don't, I don't know what mm-hmm. you, else you would call it. Um, yeah. It, it's almost like a, ro- a rom-com aimed at men as much as it is at women. Yeah, for sure. Um, it is, it is a weird uh, mixture of things uh, for sure. And yeah, I I don't think anyone would laugh at you if you you told them, hey, I think uh, Crocodile Dundee is a romantic comedy because it has all of those tropes, but it also has some of these uh, more action-adventure tropes as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely unique in that sense to me. I, I really had to think before I decided that I thought it was a romantic comedy. Because, you know, just like you're saying, I thought maybe it was an action movie. Maybe it was an adventure movie, like an Indiana Jones film or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I really had to just stop and think, what are the central aspects of the plot? And to me, it all revolves around the relationship between Sue and Mick. And because of that, that that's why I made the decision that I think this is a romantic comedy. That is true. If you look at, uh, if you look at Indiana Jones... Um... That the plot there, is, or Raiders, if we look at Raiders, the plot is this quest to go get the Ark of the Covenant and prevent the Nazis from taking it and all of these things. And then the romance angle is just kind of a side plot kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Crocodile Dundee is, is a Tarzan esque uh, story where there is no antagonist, there the reason for the story is this is so that this reporter can have a story where she eventually falls for her uh, subject, I guess. Um, and, uh, and that's it. I mean, 
and the and the danger aspect is just a side plot of that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think you may be right that this is more of a a rom com than a uh, action adventure movie. There there were a couple of good scenes that I liked from the New York setup. Um, there was one that was really out of left field. Um, that was when Reginald Vell Johnson um, he plays a limo driver for the publishing company that Sue works at. Um, Crocodile Dundee is getting beat up by a pimp um, as kind of a revenge because he had punched the pimp earlier in the film. And uh, Reginald comes to the guy's aid. Uh, He winds up running over or hitting, I guess, two of the guys with his car. And then a a third one takes off running. He rips the... uh, this like boomerang shaped radial off the back of his car rears back, tosses the, uh, the boomerang. It, it flies like a hundred yards. It nails the guy in the back of the head. And, uh, I thought that was an interesting scene. You know, I, I really, I laughed hard at it. I thought it was great, but, uh, they never really explain why this guy could just throw a boomerang like that out of nowhere. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if you see the film, I think you'll see what I'm talking about. It was definitely kind of out of the blue. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, after that, Crocodile Dundee mentioned, you know, I, I knew you were from a tribe. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he was like, yeah, the Harlem tribe. And uh, it, was, it was a good scene, but very out of left field and unexplainable. Mm-hmm. I do have another one, but it's not in New York. Uh one that I didn't understand and probably the weakest part of the movie or the weakest scene. <clears throat> and then that is the scene where uh, they are headed to the outback and they come across a buffalo in the middle of the road. Oh, yes. And uh, so Crocodile Dundee honks at him. He says, out of the way, you billigan or whatever, you derby. Um, and of course, the buffalo doesn't move. And so he goes out and he performs some kind of uh, aboriginal or bushman trick to basically put the buffalo to sleep. But the buffalo is still in the middle of the road. So (laughs) the buffalo just lays down right in the middle of the road. If anything, they made it worse because now he's laying flat. And so there's less room to get around. Uh, The only thing I can think of is that maybe they thought if they tried to go around him, the buffalo would attack. But he that looked like a pretty mellow buffalo. Like he wasn't, he wasn't out to hurt nobody. And now he's well. And they uh, they did say that uh, that buffalo was drugged for that entire scene, so that may have had something to do with it. That that's, I, yeah. I just don't. <laughs> I don't understand it. Um, yeah, it was odd, right? The buffalo's in the road. He's like, oh, I've got a trick for this. He makes the buffalo lay down and go to sleep in the road. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, okay. And then everyone in the car is just like, oh, did you see that? Yeah. It, 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 it's kind of like, okay, you've made the problem worse. Thank you. I, uh, he does. Go ahead. I think the reason for that scene was to show that, you know, show that there's something special about him yeah but they could have done it in a a different way i think which they do later in the movie right when the uh when the dogs run up on him but um i guess maybe that's the point of the scene so that when those dogs come up and he has to deal with them we know what the heck he's doing right without that kind of 
prefacing, it would be like, why is he going and holding out like, you know, devil horns to these dogs? <laughs> so, yeah. And the first, yeah. the first scene after he does it, Walt kind of uh, explains what he did. That way the audience knows that mm-hmm. kind of gets some information about what he, what he had done. I don't know if they ever actually explain what he's doing there. Maybe in the second movie, but I don't think they do there either. No, they don't ever do that. But, I mean, it it was still cool. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And so, two more quick scenes I wanted to talk about. One, um, which we can do quickly, probably the most famous scene from this film, the uh, the knife scene, the one that everybody knows, oh, right? Yeah. Um. Great scene. I just want to mention it in case you were curious. That that scene where, you know, he's like, that's not a knife. This is a knife. Is in this movie. The the first one. Um, it happens when he and Sue are leaving a... Uh, where are they leaving? Just, a, a, I guess, a party. They're leaving a party. Mm-hmm. And uh, a guy comes up, asks for a light, and uh, then pulls out a little switchblade. And it's like, and your wallet. And, and that's when it happens. And that scene became just the the definitive scene of this film for a very long time. Oh yeah. Yeah, I would I remember quoting it when we would do like uh when we do play pretend or whatever. <clears throat> mm-hmm. That's not a knife. That's a knife. Or this is a knife. Oh yeah. Everybody <laughs> would want to we'd want to buy the you know the the toy giant bowie knives that Crocodile Dundee had just so we could say that, you know. <laughs> The way he rips that guy's clothes when he's slash, slashing through him, like it's, yeah, the sound he makes. Kind of a Zorro moment. <laughs> yeah, the sound they make is like a ripping noise, but, <laughs> but he's clearly slashing at him. So, and he wasn't didn't and, he barely moved his knife. So, yeah, he's clearly not touching the guy with the knife, and his clothes just kind of fall into shreds. It, it's a, it's a silly scene now, but man, it was popular. Uh, the other one I wanted to mention is uh, one of my favorite scenes that I didn't remember at all until I rewatched it recently. And that's the scene where um, after Sue is proposed to by her boyfriend, uh, Crocodile excuses himself from this kind of upscale party that he's at, and he winds up befriending a cab driver, and they go to this bar. Mm-hmm. And the scene where he's at the bar was, I thought, a really good scene. Um you get to see how basically I feel like the, the director here or the, or the writers they're, they're trying to say that while yes, Hogan is this kind of backwoods guy from the Australian outback who doesn't know anything about society, but when put into this situation where he's with normal people, normal Americans who aren't the rich elite, you know, uh, creme de la creme of society, uh, he instantly like, gets in with them and like makes friends. Everybody likes him. He likes everybody. He, uh, he's just does great in that atmosphere, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought that scene was good. Now, granted, this is the scene where the, uh, the, the transgender discrimination happens a bit as he grabs a, uh, a person by the crotch because he's not sure what gender she is. Um, but aside from that, I feel like that scene was excellent. Yeah, yeah, it it does establish or re reinforce that he is the everyman. Um, he's not 
He is special, but he doesn't think he's special in a way. Mm-hmm. And he can get along with anybody. He can make friends anywhere. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm that person, but I know people that are that way. And it, it's fascinating that they are able to just kind of make friends wherever they go. And mm-hmm. uh, I really think that was the depiction they were trying to get with him uh, in the movie. <clears throat> Yeah, I I really enjoyed that scene. Just him, you know, it starts with just the cab driver and, and, you know, before you know it, they've got their arms around each other and he's meeting everyone at the bar and it's just, it's a fun scene to watch. He's cool, he's cool. In two weeks, we're going to release the Crocodile Dundee 2 episode and we'll just see uh, which one we prefer. So that's our episode. Uh, If you like what you heard, Subscribe to us uh, on your podcast player of choice uh, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the best way to help us out. That'll bring us up in the ratings on Apple Podcasts and maybe we can end up on the new and noteworthy section, which would be amazing. Um, You can also head over to cinemamenpodcast.com to check out new and old episodes. Uh, We love to hear from listeners. If you have a suggestion or just want to give us your review of a movie, uh, you can email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com. If you do leave a review, you can bet that we're going to read uh, at least some of it on the podcast. So that that would be great. So until next time, uh, we'll see you later. Thanks again for listening, everybody.